Our passage for today is Matthew 13, 24 through 43. It can be found on page 14 in the New Testament in your pew Bibles. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, No, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest, and at harvest time I will tell the reapers, Gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all the seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. All these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. Then he left the crowds and went into the house, and his disciples came to him, saying, Explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. He answered, The one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed is the children of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the close of the age, and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so it will be at the close of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears... Let him hear. Let's pray. Father, I stand at this podium with fear and trembling in my heart, knowing that your word is real. Your word is true. Your word is good because you are good. And in light of that, God, I pray that the words that come out of my mouth will be pleasing to you, will be edifying to your people, and will proclaim the beauty of Christ. And it's in his name I pray, amen. Good afternoon, Risen Hope.
you're a visitor here with us today, thank you for joining us. Uh, we want to thank you for being here. Now, don't let today's text scare you away. If you are following along with Ben, thank you so much for reading God's Word. Uh, it could scare you away from our church or from the church in general. Now, we here at Risen Hope, we're in a sermon series. We're coming from the book of Matthew. Today, we're in Matthew 13, and we see that King Jesus is speaking in parables. In this particular text, chapter 13, there were seven parables that King Jesus was sharing, and each of these parables are unpacking the kingdom. He found it necessary, King Jesus found it necessary to unpack these parables because uh, people were misinformed about the kingdom. At this time, Jesus was preaching to crowds, and he was specifically teaching to his disciples, giving them clarity about the kingdom, helping them understand what his teachings were all about, having their minds reshaped about King Jesus. Now, you may find yourself here even today thinking of King Jesus or his kingdom in a particular way, and maybe your thinking of the kingdom needs to be reshaped as well. I know mine has been after studying this text. King Jesus, he was using parables in this section to communicate his truth. His parables were filled with uh, all type of, in many ways, confusing symbols and sayings. And the disciples even asked the question, look at, look at your Bible, uh, chapter 13, verse 10. They say, then the disciples came to him and said to him, why do you speak in these parables? And look at verse 11. It says, and he answered them, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. But to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given. And he will have an abundance. But for the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. For the one who has more will be given, and to the one who has abundance it may be taken away. This is why I speak in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. You see, King Jesus was saying the people, they were rejecting his plain teaching. His plain teaching that he was the Messiah, the message that they should repent and turn towards him, the people were not understanding that. And for many people, parables during that time, and even now, they expose a sense of judgment because we don't believe or we're refusing to believe what King Jesus said. But for those who hear, those who have ears to hear, the parables are life-giving. They're stories they're not just stories. They're stories that are unpacking what God is trying to say to his people. Now, this, this should actually cause the believer in King Jesus to be humbled and also thankful. Why? Because we've been granted the gift of understanding, understanding the gospel, the reason that we are saved. If you see in verse 40, verse 40, the reason why we are saved from that fire is because of God's grace. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, 
It reminds us by grace you've been saved through faith. And it is not your doing, it is the gift of God. Why? So that no one can boast. Not a result of works, so that no one can boast. That's good news today, isn't it, church? The fact that we understand the good news that King Jesus came from heaven to earth, to, came from heaven to live the life that we couldn't live, and then he died the death that we deserve on the cross, and then he rose from the grave three days later, triumphant over Satan and sin and death. That's good news for those who believe. Praise God for that eternal gift. And the fact that many of us have ears to hear the gospel as good news. Praise God for not just hearing it, but also living it out. My prayer is if you haven't heard or seen King Jesus as good, you would ask him to show you that he's good today. And that through the preaching of God's word, you would see that King Jesus is good. Now, we're going to participate. You're going to participate in today's sermon. I'm going to make sure no one falls asleep. So when you hear me say, he who has ears, I want you to say, let him hear. Okay? So let's practice. He who has ears. Amen. That's good. We didn't have to do it again. I like that. I have to be honest. When studying this parable of the wheat and tares that caused many different thoughts, in my mind. It had many different feelings. This sense of cognitive dissonance was happening, emotional unrest. It, it, I, was, I was fearful for, for, for those who don't know him. I had many different emotions while reading this, and the parables that King Jesus spoke, I'm sure, caused all different type of emotions to people who heard them. They were listening, and, and they were trying to understand, but Many didn't understand, and I actually wanted you to participate in this process. Now, you, I'm going to show you a picture in a moment on the screen. Don't put it up yet. If you've seen this before, I've shown this in different contexts. If you've seen this before, don't be that guy who, oh, I know the answer. Don't do that. <laughs> Give people opportunity to discover or to work through this picture. And it gives a picture of somewhat of maybe what people think of when they hear parables, putting things in context. Everybody say context. Show the picture. As you see that picture, what do you see? Don't answer yet. How many people see something very clearly? Put your hands down. How many people don't see anything? Okay. How many people see something but you can't really explain what you see? I'm going to give you a few more minutes to look at the picture. If you see it, I see some people telling their friend, it's okay. If you see it, share it with the person next to you what you see. How many people you didn't see it, but now you see it? How many people you saw it from the beginning? How many people you still don't see what's up there? Yes. That's often the case when listening to parables. Now, what is up there is actually a picture of a what? Cow. Oh. Oh. How many people, it's okay, we're a loving group here at Risen Hope. How many people, you still don't see the cow? Okay. All right. All right. 
All right, get, get rid of that picture. Get rid of the picture. Now, that happens when Jesus is sharing his parables. Some people get it right away. They see it clearly, right? You have some people who don't see it, and then somebody whispers it next to them, and then they're like, oh, I get it. And then some people walked away like, I don't even see and know what he's talking about. The same thing happens with us today. The thing about the parables, though, is when you see it, you see it. Then when you, if you don't see it and you see it, you can't unsee it, can you? Did that happen to you as well? When you didn't see it and then you saw it and you're like, man, I see it and I don't, now I, didn't, I can't see what I saw before. Matthew 13, 16 says, blessed are your eyes for they see and your ears for they hear. My hope is today is to unpack part of this parable so that you can see the beauty of Christ. Last week, Tim, for those uh, who, are, who weren't here last week, uh, last week Tim preached on chapter 13, 1 through 24, and noted the conditions of our hearts affects the hearing of our hearts and the fruitfulness of our lives. He shared eight habits of the heart to cultivate. Now, I would, I would highly recommend that you go back and you listen to last week's sermon as those eight habits have been, have been uh, very challenging and beneficial to me as I think through this idea about truly hearing and seeing the beauty of King Jesus and his kingdom. But in our text today, King Jesus is picking right back up with another parable about good seed, about weeds, and about the kingdom of heaven. Now, I see King Jesus teaching the disciples and us what we should do in three different ways. For all my note-takers, here are your three notes. First one is actively cultivate. I see Jesus telling us to actively cultivate. Second one is to anticipate rough conditions. Anticipate rough conditions. And thirdly, to await the culmination, to await the culmination. Let's look at how we should actively cultivate. Look at verse 24 and 25. He said, he put another parable before them, saying the kingdom of heaven is likened to a man sowing good seed in his field. But while men, but while the men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds in the middle of the wheat and went away. In the parable of the wheat and the tares, the kingdom and the church are not directly synonymous. Sometimes that's misconstrued. However, there are lessons in the parable for the church today. King Jesus reminds us the church will be mixed, will be a mixed body of people. There will be good seed and there will be bad seed, known as weed. So in the church, we will have unbelievers and believers. We will have the converted and the unconverted. We have the children of the kingdom and the children of the wicked one, all mingled together in the field known as the world, but even especially in the church today. There will always be wheat and tares side by side until King Jesus returns again to establish his eternal kingdom. King Jesus is talking about the true believer though, and the unbeliever. Key note, in every church, there are true believers, real wheat, and false believers, people who look like wheat for a while, but they end up being weeds. He who has ears, 
let them hear. Friends, just because you're in church and you may even be a formal member of the church does not automatically mean you are actually a member of God's church. Actual members hear. They have ears to hear. And they hear and they understand and they bear fruit. I know a lot of people's testimonies are, I went to church. That does not qualify, qualify you as a true believer in Christ. If your testimony starts that way, I would encourage you to have a conversation with one of us or a believer that would say, it doesn't matter if you just attended the church. There's going to be many people who have attended the church where even members may have been deacons, may have, you go down the list, but they are not actually believers in Christ. Also, this is a saying for all of us. It's a realistic, it puts it in a realistic expectation for our, our experience in church, this side of heaven. So uh, for those of you who are visiting with us in Risen Hope, uh, again, we thank you for joining us, our gathering, and, and, and I want to be the first to tell you that we're not a perfect church. Amen? But we are a gathering of believers who are worshiping God and welcoming all uh, with gospel truth and neighbor love, but we are doing it imperfectly. We do have tares, weeds, just like other churches. There are people who are tares. They, they actually don't love Jesus. And at times, if we're honest, some of us, we have tarish-like behavior. Amen? The old self still sometimes makes an appearance out, Right? I'm doing my, my pastors in my old church. They say, turn, I want you to look at your neighbor right now. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm in process. Yeah, we all, we all are in process. Because sometimes the terrorist behavior finds its way out. Now, you may have heard people even say, well, well in light of that, Joel, this is the reason, you know, uh, this is the reason why I don't go to church. The church is filled with hypocrites. I remember a friend saying that, and another friend responded. He said, I can't go to that church. It's filled with hypocrites. And the friend responded, so I'm sure they wouldn't mind if one more joins them. <laughs> you see, there is no perfect church. There is no perfect congregation. There is not the purest preaching of the gospel. It doesn't exist. And if it did exist, the perfect church and I believe it doesn't exist, this side of heaven, but if it did exist and then you went there, it's not the perfect church anymore. We should, however, be in pursuit of something. And for us, it should actually be refreshing, that reality, that all those who, who, who hear this, because the church is not intended to be a museum per, for perfected saints, but a hospital for the needy, for the broken, and for the sinful. That's the purpose of the church. So we should be actively, however, cultivating good seeds in our lives and in the life of the church. This term, cultivate, is a, a rich agricultural word that describes the intentional process of tilling and plowing and mulching and digging up and breaking up and sowing and planting and preparing the land for crops and gardening. Now, don't ask me anything about farming or gardening, okay? Don't come to me. 
Even, even the list that I just shared, some people are shaking their heads. I'm sure you are in your head. You're like, man, that, even that list is out of order, right? I put the list all wrong. It's chronologically out of order. I, I, I mean, if I, if I even attempt to plant something that's dead in 24 hours, it's bad. I need help. Pray for me. This cultivation process, though, is a slow process. It's, it's very similar to the sanctification process. Sanctification, Sister Betty, is, is a, a slow process of transforming, moving towards looking and living like Jesus. This process should be lived out in the community of the, of the local church. It should be fleshed out within community. I like the way Dietrich Bonhoeffer talks about this. He was a German pastor, theologian, beast by all of his books. Uh, he said this. He said, if you can show that quote, those who live their dream of a Christian community more than the Christian community itself become destroyers of that Christian community. Even though their personal intentions may be ever so honest, earnest, and sacrificial. See, the, the process of living in community, it comes with its unique challenges. Particularly if you're living in a community as diverse as ours, right? Uh, here, here's the reality. If, if we all thought the same, if we all voted the same, uh-oh, if we all parented the same, if we all educated our children the same, if we all listened to the same music or looked at life the same way, that would provide for a community that may not require as much work as having differences does. But I believe when we actively pursue cultivation within our church by sowing gospel hope, in each other, by plowing out negative assumptions that we have for other people, by planting words of encouragement in each other's lives, by digging up personal biases that we may have, or breaking up divisive thoughts, or preparing space for the Holy Spirit to water God's word in our hearts, and we continue to walk in step with the gospel, then that's when we see growth take place. That is when actually the world will stop and stare and say, what is going on there? That God that they're talking about must be good. Within their differences, they seem, they seem to continue to move towards each other. When we do this as a church, we walk towards the Lord. When we, cultivate, when we actively cultivate in these ways, I believe God is pleased. So, friend, a few questions, church. A few questions I would ask you is what are you doing to cultivate your heart for God? What are you doing to cultivate your heart for community? Because what you do, listen to this, what you do individually will affect the church corporately. What you do individually will affect and impact the church corporately. The souls of a Christian's heart need to be tilled and broken up in order for the seed to be planted. The seed must die in order to grow. Here's the question. How are you dying to your desires for the sake of other, others? John 12, 24 says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But... If it dies, it bears much fruit. The question again is, are you pressing 
in your relationships? Dying to yourself. Husbands, are you dying to your own desires? Ooh, I said it to myself. I heard it. Mic is on, right? Okay. Wives, are you dying to your desires? Children, how are you dying to your desires? For the sake of pleasing God. Because that's what it's about. It's about pleasing God. How are we dying to ourselves for the sake of the gospel? Is the ultimate question. Something greater and bigger than ourselves. Shame on me when my attitude is, I don't want to be bothered uh, with that. I, I'm, I'm tired. I don't want to be bothered by anyone. I don't need anyone's help. I can't, I can do it myself. No. Cultivate. Actively cultivate relationships where you're dying to yourself. He who has ears. It's interesting. I was talking to one of my, my teachers. I'm a principal. Um, uh, in school in the city. It's actually called the city school. Um, and one of my teachers was a farmer for 17 years before he became a teacher. And I was talking to him about uh, the sermon and the tares and the wheat. And he said, uh, when planting crops, there's an expectation that he would have. He would expect that some weeds would actually grow, no matter how diligently you till the ground and you prepare it Weeds are going to grow up. So when you look at, let's go back to the text. It says in verse 26, when the grain sprouted and produced a crop, the weeds appeared too. Why don't you do this? Can you show that picture of wheat and tear? And you can see on that picture that they, they actually look somewhat similar. Now, this is when they are fully ripe up there. And the tear on the left, or darnel, is the name of this false wheat. It's a poisonous and dangerous wheat if it's consumed. Now, you can see the difference between the two, uh, but, uh, but they look very similar when they're growing up, before they ripen, before they produce fruit. It's, it's interesting. Tia, uh, my wife, yesterday I was talking to her, talking about the sermon and uh, you can leave that up there. You can leave it up. Uh, talking about the sermon, and um, she had a, one of her pastors growing up, Pastor Scott, um, a very protective, loving, incredible man, father figure to Tia, uh, and he, he would tell her all the time, uh, just because it shines doesn't mean it's gold. Oddly enough, uh, I remember after she said that, he said that to me when I first met him, and he told me, I was, like, when I told him I was going to marry Tia, he said that to me as well. I was like, okay, okay. Pastor Scott, we love him 14 years later. Yes, 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 Lord. 14 years later. Just because it shines doesn't mean it's gold. So, yes, you can see the clear difference right now, but when they're growing up together, they're so intertwined, they look the same. For the men who saw the field, it wasn't just, you can take that down, it wasn't just the appearance of the weeds that the servants were alarmed by, but it was the ratio of the wheat to weeds. This wasn't circumstantial. This was intentional. This wasn't, this wasn't an accident. Someone intentionally put weeds in with the good seed. Now, what do the, what do the servants do? Look at verse 27. The servants initially questioned the law of the landowner. They said, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? 
And the master makes it clear. An enemy has done this. The, home, the landowner says that someone has deliberately planted these weeds in, the, in their field. And then when they say, well, what do you want us to do? Do you want us to go out and tear out all the, the tears? Do you want us to go out and remove all the weeds? His response is what? No. Because if you do that, you stand to damage the wheat. And therefore, I'm going to bring in specialists, reapers at the harvest time, and they will be given the job of separating the wheat and the tares. This story which is told, and Jesus explains it, this is referring to the kingdom of heaven. He says, he says his kingdom of heaven, the kingdom he is establishing, is like what? A man who sows good seed. Many respond to it and they grow up in faith. But at the same time, the enemy, the evil one, Satan is working against his kingdom. He sows tares so that good seed and bad seed coexist together. The disciples then ask what? Should we not then root out the tares? Jesus' response is no. I have specialists for that. I will send my angels to make the final division at the end of time, at the judgment time. So we can anticipate, we should anticipate rough conditions in this life. We should anticipate that. Weeds are going to grow. Satan is actively trying to destroy everything good that God is doing. And we see this in Genesis 1, right? God created a perfect garden called the Garden of Eden. He then creates Adam and Eve for them to enjoy God within this perfect garden. And then everything in this garden, garden was what? Perfect. But Satan came and tempted Eve and Adam sinned and ruined everything. Based off of Adam's choice to disobey God, sin enters the world. And we see that Satan and sin continue to ruin everything to this day. He wants to ruin the mission and harvest. And he wants to ruin all the well-being, all the good that is happening within the church by planting false believers in it. People who act like they believe, but who have no love for Christ, his word, or the truth. And the response is often to God, get rid of all the weeds. How does the, the landowner respond in the parable? He says, no. Why? Look at verse 29. No. Lest in gardening the weeds, you root up the wheat along with them. God doesn't want to ruin the wheat. Despite the rough conditions, God, knowing how intertwined the weeds and the wheat are, he is careful not to damage the wheat. None of this, however, means that we should just let tares do what they want, or do what they want, do whatever they want to say. No. Uh, most people, uh, we, we have to be active at the same time. We, we, uh, when we know of people, tares, who are committing habitual sins and affecting or harming others that we should let them be, no, we should get rid of them. Jesus even teaches us, if you go to chapter 18, I don't know who's preaching that, but there are times where we must uh, put people out of the church, church membership, when, when and if they don't repent, if they don't repent from doing harm to others. If people do criminal things that are harmful to others, no, we must report them and we must deal with them. Amen? But what Jesus is getting at here 
is this kind of self-righteousness. We're going, you know, we're going to go and we're going to get all the phonies, all the imperfect people out of here so we can have a perfect church. The actual, this, be on this type of crusade, right? The crusades in themselves were somewhat damaging. <laughs> if we go on this type of crusade, we end up harming genuine believers who simply are weak or who are erring on their ways or who are stumbling or struggling. We are surely, hear me clearly, we are surely to protect the church from active evil that harms people's bodies and souls. But at the same time, we need to realize that the crowd we are a part of is a mixed crowd of people. And instead of zealously trying to weed them all out, we need to feed them with truth. Truth and the hope of Christ. And, and, they will, and, and they will often turn from weeds to wheat. And I, I'm grateful for this. I'm so grateful for this for, for two reasons. One, God is actively patient despite the problem. Now, some people say, how can you be actively patient? Well, I was once a weed. If I were to die before the sophomore, my sophomore year of high school, I would be laying in a coffin and many people would have thought I was on my way to heaven because I looked like a wheat. I, 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 you know, I didn't do too much bad stuff, or at least I didn't get caught. Or at least I got caught and then I realized I better not do that anymore. I went to church. Uh, I didn't curse too much. I didn't smoke at all. Um, I didn't do the bad things that all the bad kids did. But the fact of the matter is, I didn't have a true relationship with Jesus. So when I came harshly in the beginning and saying that, hey, just because you attend church doesn't mean you're a believer, that was me. And maybe some of you even today. I didn't truly understand and believe in the gospel. I thought if I followed a set of rules and didn't, and my good outweighed my bad, then I would be good before God. But oh, was I wrong. I looked like wheat, but I wasn't. So I'm, I'm personally thankful for God's patience with me. I'm thankful for his active patience. I like the way uh, Augustine of Hippo uh, said, he was an you know, African theologian, he said, those who are tares today may be wheat tomorrow. Sorry, a little bit slow on it. It's all right. <laughs> that was me. Some of you know tares in the church. Continue to actively pray for them lovingly showing them the truth of God's word, modeling for them what it looks like to live a life of doing justice and loving kindness and repentance and humility so that they too may become wheat. Secondly, God can use the intentions of the evil one for his good purposes. Romans 8.28. I love it as we, we see it up there. And we know... That for this who, excuse me, and we know that for this who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purposes. God can use all things, suffering, trials, to bring us to himself. The Lord uses trials and tribulations to conform us to the image of Christ by a show of hands. How many of you have been used, like God has used trials and sufferings to bring you closer to, to himself. Keep your hands up. 
beautiful. We should cultivate relationships with people who have their hand up, who've been through some stuff, who can tell you how good God is. That's what it's about. There's a testimony. We were talking about, uh, uh, Aunt Roz is not here. We were talking about having a testimony service where we just testify of all the goodness that God has done, despite the situations, despite the conditions, despite what is happening, we still preach of the goodness of God. Cultivating relationships with people who have gone through some things, that will strengthen your faith in King Jesus. Lastly, anticipating rough conditions in this life are a reminder to us that this is not our home. Our brother Brian Davis, uh, if you were here for the marriage conference, uh, talked to us. This is the day after Valentine's Day. All the love in the air and flowers and just, you know, it was beautiful, right? And then Brian Davis comes up and he says, everything in this life will burn. You're like, dang, brother, like I'm trying to, I'm trying to get into love, spirit, eros, you know what I mean? <laughs> but, but he's true. It's true. This world is not going to be perfect. We are going to be passing through. Rough conditions are to remind us that we should not be attached to this burning world. Friend, we are to be rooted in Christ. Colossians 2, 6 and 7 says, Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. And I found it interesting that wheat itself, uh, it doesn't have deep, a deep root system. Wheat, wheat, the roots, they don't go very deep compared to how high wheat actually gets. Wheat, is, it's almost this imagery of them reaching to the heavens, barely holding on to this earth. Wheat is easily pulled up and uprooted by the farmer during harvest season. The same ought to be true of us in this world. When it comes to this world, we anticipate rough conditions because this is not our permanent home. We long to be with Christ. We long to be with Christ and holding loosely to the things of this world and clinging to King Jesus. Believer, how do we apply this today? We need to cling to King Jesus, being rooted in him and not in this world. And yes, listen, I was at Ikea yesterday with my family. Yes, we were walking around and looking at all the different rooms and, oh, we're going to do this, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. Now, I was tired and I was ready to go. But we have a new home and praise God, that's what my wife wanted to do. So that's what we did. (laughs) But even in light of that, guess what? That too is burning. It won't last. Knowing God's love, in in addition to this, how can we apply this? By knowing God's love for us is true, and despite whatever is happening around us, we need to cling to that, understanding that we are being conformed to to his image through all the things that we are facing. The last application is understanding that we are not the saved police. God, that's God's job. We don't go around and up, let me see, yep, you're safe. Nope, get him out. No. That is not your job. Because in fact, much of what you are criticizing the other person for, you may have it much more yourself. 
Let God do his job. And he will do it. He will ultimately do it in the coming age. He who has ears. So we should actively cultivate. We should anticipate rough conditions. And lastly, we should, finally, we should await the culmination. Come with me. I'm going to travel all the way down to verse 40. Verse 40. It says, just... Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels and will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be, gnash, there will be weeping, and gnashing of teeth. For those of us who are weak, we don't, we, don't, we don't read these verses with any type of rejoicing. But this is a reality. This is a reality. If you are a weed, God will deal with evil and he, all evil will be punished in the end. When the landowner says, don't uproot all the weeds, it's because he does, it isn't because he doesn't care about getting rid of the weeds. In the same way, King Jesus, his patience with judging sinners isn't a lack of care about sin. He cares about sin. He will take care of sin because he's sovereign and he's perfect and he's good and he's just. But don't get it twisted. He will deal with sin. Richard Baxter said, we must not misinterpret God's patience with the ungodly. Don't misinterpret that. King Jesus will return and there will be a final judgment. If you are an unbeliever today, I plead with you to come to the Lord Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. I plead with you. God's arms are open. They're, they're wide enough open to embrace you as a sinner, as Darnell, as, as, as a person who is not converted to understanding the power and the beauty of the Lord Jesus, and he wants to convert you to be a saint, to be wheat. Please come to him. Don't leave this space. If the Holy Spirit is speaking to your heart today, do not turn your back. Do not be ashamed. I would have been ashamed as that, as that sophomore. I thought I was a Christian, but I was not. I did not fully understand or embrace the beauty of the gospel. If that is you, please don't leave this space without coming and bowing your knee to the Lord Jesus. He's good. His arms are wide open for you. And for the believer, if, if tears... This is a real part of it. If tares do you wrong and treat you unjustly and you feel like there's nothing you can do about it, know that God will make things right. You don't have to avenge yourself. God will make it right. You don't have to think, man, how can I expose them? How can I punish them? God will bring everything together for his good purposes. He will. He promises to do that. 
God will have his day, and his day will win. And for those of you who are in Christ, look at verse 43. Look at verse 43. It says, Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears, let him hear. The last time I was standing up here preaching, my father was sitting in a wheelchair right there. In this past November, my father passed away. He's now shining. It has nothing to do with him. He is not, he was not righteous. It has everything to do with Christ. The fact that he was in a wheelchair, ailed with so many different things. My brother and I being able to be there right before he passed and to know that he's shining. Ha! He's shining because of the righteousness of God. The righteousness of God will shine with radiant glory in culmination. Radiance to the glory of God. So that it is when we put our hope in Christ and in his, in, in his return, we will shine as well. So the believer gets excited because we know that we will be shining. The believer must remain, though, in the soil that is cultivated by God. Through the Christian's life, so mad, no matter what the conditions are, stay with Christ. Stay with that good soil. Keep cultivating it. Get, get with other people who are cultivating that as well in you. Stay rooted in Christ, remaining in the righteousness of God. Why? Because one day we'll be shining. Shining in his radiant, his great radiance for the glory of God. He who has ears, let him hear. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We pray that as you have spread any good seed out on the soil of our hearts, that we will respond. Thank you that you've given us ears to hear eyes to see, give us hearts that do something about it. In Jesus' name, amen.